Well, in 2015, uh, ComRes or ComResearch, a market research company, interviewed 2,545 people, uh, adults in the UK. Now that is deemed as a, as a very good number of people uh, to get an idea of what is going on and what the situation is. And, and they found these things in particular. They were looking into this and, and they found that 60% of people believe that Jesus was a real person who actually lived. And then delving deeper, only 21% believe that Jesus is God in human form. And then going deeper still, only 11% believe that Jesus rose from the dead, as the Bible says. Now that's a survey, but that's indicative of the situation in the UK. 60 believing that Jesus actually lives as a person. 21% that Jesus is God in human form. And a tragic low, 17% believe that Jesus rose from the dead, as the Bible says. And I'm sure if you took those statistics across the world, you would see that it's similar, if not worse, in any ways. And what's a real tragedy that 70% of people in the UK, when this survey was done, didn't believe that Jesus was a real person. That's not even saying that Jesus is the Son of God, just that Jesus was a real historical person. And this is a tragedy because it just shows a lack of education and a lack of understanding. I want to quote uh, Brainy McCain. He's an archaeologist of religion and Judaism at Atlantic University in Florida, US. He wouldn't be someone you would call a, a believing person, but he is uh, a master in his field of uh, archaeology, history, and particularly with regard to religion and Judaism. And this is what he says, I do not doubt nor have I heard of any trained historian or archaeology who has doubts about his existence. He's talking of Jesus. Historians and architects, uh, uh, archaeologists and, and trained people in this field do not doubt the existence of Jesus. The abundance of the historic texts converts to the real existence of Jesus. And he says, he goes on to say, there is a broad and deep consensus amongst scholars that Jesus existed, regardless of their religious beliefs. And so it's a tragedy that that 40% don't even believe that Jesus as a person, as a historic person, exists, when if you look at the evidence, it unequivocally tells us that just as we believe in someone like Julius Caesar from history, we can believe in a human being called Jesus who lived on this earth. And just as we can believe in the historic events of Julius Caesar and what he did, we can believe in the historic events of what Jesus did. 
But on this Easter Sunday, I, I want us to, to delve deeper and, and, and look into the fact that Jesus is God in human form and that Jesus rose from the dead. And we'll be looking at the passage we read earlier in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 27, that's where we started. And so if you've got your Bibles, uh, please do have them, have them open and, and be ready with them. And as we go through this uh, sermon, there's three main headings. And the first one is real death. Real death. That, that's our first heading for this morning. Now, there have been many, many theories that have been made up that try and explain the fact that Jesus did not really die. And uh, in some ways, this in itself points to the resurrection being true, because if Jesus uh, had not risen from the dead, then we, he would not have had to die in the first place. And the fact that he is living means that people have to explain why he didn't die. But that's just on a side. Some people feel and, and say that he was playing dead. So some people feel that he, not that he was playing dead, but he actually went unconscious and then he was taken off the cross and taken into the tomb. And in the cool of the tomb, he somehow revived. Others say that they just got the wrong man and Jesus Christ wasn't the one who was nailed to the cross. Some poor person was taken in his place. Now from this passage, I want us to, to see what it tells us about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Real death. And we can see this in, in our first subheading in that the Roman authorities certified Jesus's death. The Roman authorities certified Jesus's death. They, they wouldn't have got the wrong man. They, they were professionals in this. The, the, these were, were trained soldiers and these trained soldiers had a job to do and their job was to crucify, execute this man. And that was the man that they would execute. And, and they were professionals. They'd done this before. They'd have got in all manner of trouble if they hadn't got the right man. And they'd have got in even more trouble if they got the right man. And if they, got, if they hadn't actually executed the person. But where this tells us about the reality that the Roman soldiers knew what was going on, we, we read in verse 57 of, of this passage in chapter 27. It was evening. And there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. And uh, Pilate ordered it to be given to him. A body of Jesus. Not Jesus, the living Jesus. Not Jesus, the pretend to be alive Jesus. He asked for the, the body of Jesus. And we can see here that from the Roman soldiers who crucified Jesus, they knew that he was dead. You see a little bit earlier, the, uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders went to, to Pilate and, and they wanted to make sure that the, the bodies were not going to be up for the Passover on the cross. They wanted them to be killed before the Sabbath day. And, and so they were ordered to go and, and break the legs 
of those that were on the cross. By breaking the legs, that would mean they couldn't raise themselves to get breath and they would die very quickly. And so in the Gospel of John, it shows us and teaches us exactly what happened here. In chapter 19, verse 33, the soldiers, when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead. These soldiers had seen dead people before. These soldiers had crucified people before. These soldiers knew what they were doing. They didn't break his legs. They didn't need to break his legs because Jesus had given up his spirit earlier. He'd breathed his last. He'd given his life for the sins of his people. But there was one soldier. There's always one, isn't there? And what he did was he thrust his spear into the side of Jesus. And at once came out blood and water. Now, 2,000 years ago, when John was writing this gospel, he, he put that in there because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to put that there. I also think that he put that in there because he was there at the time and he saw this and this probably really struck him as something grim and awful. But as we travelled on in time and as man's science and medicine abilities have developed, we actually realised that what was being demonstrated here was Jesus had a hemothorax. And what was going on was in the stillness of the dead body, the blood and the water had separated out. The heavier red cells below and the light watery plasma above. And so what would have happened is when the spear went in to a dead Jesus, you'd have seen blood and water come out. If that spear had went into a living Jesus, just blood would have come out. It wouldn't have had the separation of the two. And here we can thank God and the Holy Spirit for giving us that extra detail that just reminds us emphatically that Christ was really dead on the cross. But the centurion in charge of this, he, he confirmed to, to Pilate that this was the case. So the soldiers, the, the minions, the, the lower bods, the privates, if you like, they're the ones that, 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 that said it, they saw it, but also they, the centurion who was there knew this situation. Because what happened was when Pilate was asked for the body, he was surprised to hear that Jesus had already died. This terrific, horrific way of killing people could take days. And here it was within hours that Jesus was dead. And so the Gospel of Mark tells us in chapter 15 and 44, Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And he summons the centurion. He went to the head man. He said to the centurion and asked him whether he was dead already. And when he learnt from the centurion he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And so we have the Roman Empire, the Roman system from the lowly soldier right up to Pilate the governor, all confirming that the Lord Jesus Christ was dead. And then from us looking back from our 2,000 years of perspective and that extra medical information, we don't doubt 
that Jesus died. Just like the disciples, our second subheading here, the disciples had no doubt that he died. Joseph of Arimathea and elsewhere were told that Nicodemus was with them. They were the ones who handled the dead body. They asked for a they asked for it and, and they, they, they saw this dead body and they handled this dead body and they wrapped this dead dead body. They get a good idea that Jesus was dead when they were wrapping him with a clean linen shroud. You, you don't put living people into a new tomb. You don't roll a great stone over a tomb if you're hoping that the person might recover and come out. Can you imagine a person who's been hanging on a cross for four or five hours who has been beaten up before that? How they could move a great stone? If, if this was a plan, if this was the idea, you wouldn't put the stone across. You'd leave it open. You'd give the guy a sporting chance to get out. But no, these disciples, Joseph and Nicodemus, knew unequivocally that Jesus was dead. They'd handled the dead body, the corpse of Jesus. Matthew tells us that the, the two Marys were watching as Jesus' body was put in the tomb. Matthew 27 and verse 62, we have Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, and they were sitting opposite the tomb and they were watching this. They were watching the brothers, the, the, the disciples Joseph and Nicodemus, tenderly taking that body of Christ into the tomb. They knew that it was a dead Jesus that was placed into the tomb. John, who wrote the, the epistle, so John, who wrote the gospel of John, was an eyewitness of the crucifixion. He was there. He saw what was going on, and maybe there were others there as well. They saw what the Roman soldiers saw. They saw someone who died on a cross. And there's no doubt about it because those two disciples who were walking on the road to Emmaus, after this had all happened, those three days later, and when they are there with Jesus, but they didn't know it was Jesus, and they were talking to him in Luke 24 and verse 20, they said, look, this is how our high priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and to crucify him. The disciples had no doubt that Jesus had died. And then we also see as our third subheading here is the chief priests and the Pharisees. They knew that he was dead too. There's, a, there's an irony here in this, isn't there? One of the big, big problems that the that the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders had with Jesus was he healed some people on the Sabbath. They didn't think that you should go around healing people on the Sabbath. That was breaking the Sabbath day rules. And here they are on the Sabbath. And not just any Sabbath, the Passover Sabbath. Verse 62, the passage in Matthew tells us that after the day of preparation. What were these guys doing? They, they weren't 
celebrating the Sabbath. They weren't celebrating the Passover. They were concerned about Jesus and what was going on here. And and these men broke the Sabbath and, and they went to see Pilate and they went to discuss the business of making sure that a dead man's body was not going to escape. What do they mean by a dead man's body escaping? How can a dead man escape? Well, they were concerned that the disciples would come along and steal Jesus' body. That they were, they were concerned uh, by that. And, and so they, they wanted to make sure that this wasn't going to happen. So they thought that that would be a worse thing for them to steal a dead body and go around and say that he'd been resurrected. And so they were told to go and make the tomb secure in verse 66, to seal the stone. There's a great big stone rolled over that no one person could roll away. It would take effort and levers and things to, to move the stone away. But not only was the stone in position, they sealed it. And not only was it sealed, there was a guard set over it. And why did they seal it? And why did they guard it? Because they were protecting a dead body from being stolen by the disciples. All this evidence points to a real death. But it also points very, very vividly to the corpse, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ secured in a tomb, secured in a grave. Jesus was really killed on the cross. Jesus really died and gave up his life on the cross. Jesus' body was placed in the tomb. And as we were thinking on Friday about this death of Christ on the cross, there was a real death and it was for a real reason. Paul in his letter to the Romans in chapter 5 and verse 8 puts it like this, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Jesus' real death had a real purpose. And the real purpose of Christ dying on the cross was so that God's wrath, God's judgment that should fall upon the sins of his people fell upon the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And that means that all those of you this morning who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, you're trusting in this fact, that Jesus died for you. Jesus took your punishment in your place. There was a real death and it was for a real reason. And the real reason was that 
the sins, the wrongdoings, the shortfallings of God's people could be washed clean and made right and atoned for. But just as there was a real death, secondly we see that there was a real resurrection. A real resurrection. Now the actual bodily resurrection of Jesus, just like his death, is disputed. And it's disputed and there's all manner of theories that, that abound. We haven't got time to go into all of them, but just, for, just to, to give a few of them. And one that we've mentioned already, that was the fact that he didn't really die on the cross. He wasn't really dead. But I think we've seen enough evidence to realise that he was dead. Jesus really, really was dead. And so people have looked at these facts and looked at these this situation and come to the fact and conclusion, well, he was absolutely dead. How do they explain it? How do they, how do they get round this? How do they get round the resurrection? What can they do to, to understand this or unpack it? And, and, and so what they say is they say, well, the disciples hallucinated seeing Jesus resurrected afterwards. The disciples hallucinated afterwards. This was a hallucination because of the faith they had. And they wanted to believe it so badly that they hallucinated it. So let's work this through. We know that over 400 people saw Jesus after his resurrection. And please don't laugh about it because people take this seriously. They seriously believe that over 400 people had a hallucinatic experience together that Jesus rose. It just doesn't add up. It takes more faith to believe in that than it does to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Others say that the body was stolen from the tomb and, and the disciples lied about the fact that he was risen. And, and it was all there sort of spinning the story. Oh, it was a tragedy that Jesus died. What could they do? How could they make it better? Ah, this is what we'll do. We'll, we'll take the body away and we will tell everyone that he is alive and he is risen. Okay. Let's think about that. These disciples, the 11 that were left, believed that lie so much that they managed to keep it for over 30 years. All the same, consistent. And not only did they manage to keep it, but many of them actually died for it. Now, where's the sense in that? What's the point of, of, of dying for a dead person who is no longer there? You see, these men believed it because they'd seen the risen Saviour and he had changed him. And just as he died for them, they were willing to die for him. That, that, that in a way, is a, is a huge mark of the resurrection. That people over the last twenty, uh, over the last two thousand years, have been willing to die for their faith. Why? Because they believe in a risen Savior, 
And the risen Saviour is greater than an individual's death and persecution. Now we're going to be posting shortly uh, an article that Mummy Daphne has, has written. It's called Fake News. It will be on our Facebook page. And it goes into some of these things in a bit more detail. And I recommend that you read that. But the, the Jewish high priests, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they, they did all that they could to make sure that the body of Jesus couldn't be stolen. And, and so the very thing that people are purporting to be the truth, that he was stolen, was the very thing that the chief priests, the Pharisees, and the Roman Empire were making sure didn't happen. They feared this would happen. They had this as an idea in their minds. They didn't want to believe in the resurrection. They couldn't get their minds around a resurrection. They didn't want to resurrect Jesus. And, and in verse 63 of the passage we read, said that imposter said while he was still alive, they were listening. Isn't that interesting? They were listening to Jesus. He said, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, order his tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people that he's risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Doesn't that point to a real resurrection? The only way to explain it was something of a supernatural moment. So let's go back to that account in Matthew and see what Matthew's account says about the real resurrection. We see the real resurrection was in a real moment in time. The real resurrection was in a real moment in time. Now, 2,000 years ago, on a Sunday wasn't recognized as a Sunday then. It was recognized as the day after Sabbath. But on the Sunday, on the, after the Sabbath, as verse 1 of chapter 28 tells us, towards the dawn of the first day of the week. That's a real moment. And isn't it amazing that 2,000 years on, the Sunday is seen as the first day of the week. The Sunday is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It was a real moment in time. It was that Sunday of the Passover. It was that Sunday of the Passover some nearly 2,000 years ago. And so it was a real moment in time, just after dawn. But also we see, and in more depth we see this here, that the second subpoint that real people were witnesses to this. There were, there were real people who saw this. And the first set of people I want us to, to mention that saw this and knew what was going on was the guards. That the guards knew what had happened. That the guards knew what had happened and, and, and they were petrified. They, 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 were, they were frightened to, to close to death, it seems. There was an earthquake. And when this earthquake happened, the, the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, and he was like lightning and white as snow. And there's that great big stone that seals the, the, the grave to seals the tomb that would be impossible for an individual to move. As I said before, it would take levers. It would take great effort. It was to stop grave robbers. It was to keep people out. Its whole purpose was, was there to stop that from being opened. And this angel just rolls it away 
and sits on top of it and says, ah, my work's done here. And, and so these guards knew what had happened. In verse 11, the, the second part of it says, they, some of the guards went to the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. They'd seen it, they were witnesses to it, and they explained what happened. And then this is when the chief priests were, well, they were, they were a bit upset by this. They, they didn't want people to know about it. So these soldiers were bought out. They were given money. Verse 12, uh, they gave them sufficient money to the soldiers. And they said, tell the people, his disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. Roman soldiers, if they slept on guard duty, often lost their own lives. Roman soldiers didn't sleep on guard duty. Roman soldiers could have easily, easily stopped disciples from getting into the tomb. They were armed and the disciples weren't. They were professional soldiers. The disciples weren't. It would just be a total mismatch. And so we see through this lie. But what we see is that not the lie that matters, but the fact that these Roman soldiers witnessed the empty tomb. They knew that something had gone on and they were offered this money to give the lie and they were also offered protection because the lie was embarrassing and meant that they weren't doing their job properly. They saw the empty tomb. They realised that Jesus had gone. And they knew that his body hadn't been stolen. But then we see the two Marys. They knew what had happened. The two Marys came along. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. They went early, early. They were the first to, to get there. And when they were on the way there, they were concerned about how they would move the stone. And they wanted to anoint Jesus' body. And, and they, were, they were going there. It's really interesting to see that the first people recorded to see the empty tomb were the very same people who saw the tomb being filled. Mary and Mary were opposite the tomb when the body was being laid in the tomb. And so they saw it being filled and they also witnessed it empty. But if you were wanting to write a, 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 legally, a legal case rather than an accurate witness account, if you were wanting to make a watertight legal case of this rather than an accurate witness account, you would want the first people to see this, the people giving testimony to this, to be respectable men. You see, in, in those days, the witness of woman was discredited. It wasn't as valid as the, the, the men's witness. Just as the witness of shepherds back at the birth of Christ was discredited as just being shepherds. You see, God's ways are beyond our ways. And, and, and what actually happened is what happened. And if, if they were trying to do something clever, they would have not done it like this. If they would have done it clever. They would have had 
possibly Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea being the ones witnessing. They were the rich ones. They were the ones with uh, legal power behind them. But no, the faithfulness was to the truth. And the truth was that Mary and Mary went and saw it. And that just underlines the credibility of the account as we scrutinize it from 2,000 years on. This just screams out as being truth. And they saw the same thing as these mighty soldiers, these soldiers on guard. They saw the same thing, but rather than trembling and becoming like dead men, the angel turns to them in verse 5 and says to the woman, Do not be afraid. Isn't that wonderful? What a provision they had. That the mighty soldiers were knocked out as though dead. And rather than that happening to these ladies who were going there fearfully, who were wondering how they would open the grave because they have no strength. The angel says to them, do not be afraid. Why not? For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he has risen. Come and see the place where he lay. And and they looked and they saw and and the tomb was empty. Jesus was not there. The angel had said that they had risen. We also see here that, that Peter and John knew what was happening and what went on here. Peter and John we know from the, the Gospel of John that, that Mary went and ran to get Simon Peter. And Simon Peter and John, and as he describes himself in that gospel, as the one who Jesus loved, that they ran back to the tomb. And the one ran faster than the other and looked in and it was empty. And it says here in John chapter 20, verse 6, that they looked in the tomb and they saw the linen clothes lying there. And the faith cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Those two went home and Mary stayed on and she looked in and this time there was the folded grave clothes and two angels where Jesus was laid. And they asked her why she was crying. And she says, as recorded in John chapter 20, verse 13, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. Think of this. People who nearly die and then revive don't really have time and effort and energy to fold the grave clothes. And and fearful disciples who came to steal the body and were aware that just outside there were sleeping alleged soldiers, they they wouldn't have time to to neatly fold the grave clothes. And, And why would they take a corpse naked? It just doesn't make sense. Jesus had no need for grave clothes because he was alive. We have this wonderful, amazing situation here because 
to, to this point, we, we've seen that the tomb is empty. We've had the testimony of the angel saying that Jesus has risen. But Mary is there and she's perplexed and she's upset. And in John chapter 20, and verse 16, Jesus speaks to her and just says to her, Mary. And she turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She saw him on that day. And we know that Jesus went on to show himself to many more people over the next 40-day period, uh, to that over 400 people. You see, there's an empty tomb. There's eyewitness accounts, and they all attest to a real resurrection. They all point to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ died and rose again. Now you see, the problem that people have with believing the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is not the facts. The facts are overwhelming. If you are not sure of that now, if you don't think that is right, what I challenge you to do is to go out and skeptically, with an open mind, study the facts. And when the facts are studied and examined, it is overwhelming. There is an overwhelming amount of evidence, not just in the scriptures, but outside of the scriptures and the scrutiny of it all put together. It just points to the fact that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And by someone dying and rising again, the only explanation is he has to be the Son of God. The very things that the world doesn't believe are there set out so clearly. And the evidence is overwhelming. But the reason people do not want it, the reason people choose not to believe it, is that this real fact demands real action. There was a real resurrection that proves a real death, which gives a real reason for real action. And that real action is, is, is this last point that I want to, us to labour. And, and the point of application that we need to bring home, there is a real death and there is a real resurrection. And we've seen that Jesus died on the cross to save his people from their sins. And so what is the action that is needed here? And sometimes we think of the term of the reaction to this as believing and non-believing. But what I want to put to you this morning from God's word is it is more than that. The real action here that is required is either to worship the Lord Jesus Christ or to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. The real action that's required of the fact that there was a real death, a 
and a real resurrection is either to worship or to reject. The chief priests and the Pharisees realised that Jesus was risen. They knew he died. They believed it. They knew that he had risen. But they didn't want it. And they rejected it. And they paid people to lie about it. And in paying people to lie about it, they were showing their heart was to reject Jesus Christ. They were wanting to reject his death. They were rejecting his resurrection. They were rejecting Jesus. And so these soldiers, they took the money, they did as they directed, and the story is spread among the Jews to this day. And to this day, there are Jews who are rejecting Jesus. But there's not just Jews rejecting Jesus to this day. There are many, many, many people who are rejecting Jesus still today. The truth is there. God sent his only son to this world with a plan and a purpose to save people from their sins, to make people right with God, to bring people back to him as it were. And yet the tragedy is people are rejecting Jesus. And so my question to you today, you may, be, you may think yourself as being a skeptic. You may think yourself as someone who is very wise. You may think yourself as someone who follows the science. But what you're really doing in your wisdom is rejecting Jesus. What you are saying is, I don't want Jesus. The truth is, he died and he rose. The truth is, he died for the sins of his people and he rose to prove that the sacrifice he made was good enough. And Jesus has now sat on the right hand of God and these things are facts. But the skeptic, the unbeliever, what they're really saying is, I do not want Jesus to be my king. I don't want Jesus to be someone that I worship. I want, in the words of Frank Sinatra, to do it my way. I want to live my life my way, doing my thing. And you may say that you do believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, but you're not truly, truly worshipping him. You're accepting it to a degree, but you haven't given your life in full surrender to him. You prefer having a bit of ownership in your own life. You prefer a little bit of sin in your life. And effectively, although you believe 
you don't know him as your Lord and Saviour. And even though you may know the facts this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you are rejecting him. You see, when Mary and the disciples realised that Jesus was risen, they worshipped him. Verse 9 of, of that chapter 28, it says, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. They realised the greatness of the Saviour. They couldn't, they couldn't stand up, they couldn't hug him, they couldn't kiss him. That wasn't what they were about. They, they bowed before him. They bowed before his feet. They saw him as the one who had saved them from their sins, who had cleansed them, who had made them right, and they worshipped him. How are you approaching the risen Saviour this morning? What does he mean to you? Do, do you come and, and, and worship him? When the disciples saw him later in that verse 17, it says they worshipped him, but some doubted, but they, but they worshipped him. They worshipped the risen Saviour. The big action is do we reject Christ or do we worship him? The big headline question for this morning's sermon was dead or alive? And if you saw on the social media adverts for it, the headline was dead or alive? Question mark. And then the subheading was not Jesus. He's alive. Are you dead? Or alive. You see, a worshipper of Jesus is alive in Christ. A worshipper of Jesus knows that their sins that they have committed and how they've fallen short of the glory of God has been washed clean by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. He has paid the price of their sins. And they are right with him. And they are a worshipper of God. And they are alive in him. And yes, although we shall physically die, we shall go on to live in eternity with Jesus, with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit, in perfection and with no pain and with no suffering. Even though we don't deserve it. We're given it by grace through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. But if you're a rejecter of Jesus, if you don't want to know, if you prefer your scepticism, if you prefer to think that he didn't really die, if you prefer to push these things out, you are dead in your sins. And as God's word warns us, the worst way to die is when you're dead in your sins. Because the punishment that Jesus took on the cross is the punishment that you will receive 
for an eternity of your sins. You cannot reject Jesus forever because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But only those who are worshipping and alive in Christ will now are those that will go on to be with him for eternity. And all those who rejected him will be rejected by him for eternity. And their sins will be their problem forever and ever and ever. And so as we've seen, there is a real death. As we've seen that there is a real resurrection. As we've seen that there is a real action needed. The big question is, are you dead or alive? Are you a worshipper of Jesus and alive in him? Or are you a rejecter of Jesus and dead in your sins? And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we plead with you that you would open our eyes to the blatant truth that the Lord Jesus Christ really died and really rose. And then through the power of your Holy Spirit, O oh Lord God, may we take the action that is right and the only action that is worthy of the facts. May we worship you as our Lord and Saviour through the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, for any who now have got hardened hearts and are wanting to go in their scepticism and in their sinful way and reject you, please, Heavenly Father, may you bring them to yourself before it is too late. And for those of us that know you and love you as our Lord and Saviour, may we worship you like we've never worshipped you before. May we live our lives as a living sacrifice to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>